There are many things that we cannot know unless they are revealed to us. For example, I can't know what you are thinking unless you tell me. If I've just met you, I can't even know your name unless you tell me who you are. More than that, there are things that we cannot know unless God himself reveals them to us. For example, think about Joseph. When Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, how could he possibly know that the child she was carrying was conceived by the Holy Spirit? He could only know that if God told him so, which of course he did through the angel who came to Joseph and spoke to him in a dream. The same is true about what we know about Jesus. Jesus, when he lived on the earth, looked like a normal man. Now, he could do some amazing things. That was part of how he revealed who he was, was through his actions and through his words. But we wouldn't know who he was unless he told us and showed us. And what was revealed to Joseph and to Mary and to others has been revealed to us as well through the Scripture. This morning, we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. We started making our way through Luke 1 last week. And this week, we're going to pick up the story in verse 26. And we're going to see how and what God revealed to Mary about the child that she was going to carry. Because the revelation made to Mary is a revelation also given to us. Because not only Mary, but also we need to know who Jesus is. So that we can respond to him rightly. Let me read for us, beginning in verse 26, and I'll read down to verse 38. And God's word says this, in the sixth Month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
And the angel departed from her. Now, this happened, we're told, in the sixth month, meaning the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We saw last time that God came to Zechariah when he was praying in the temple, or the angel came to Zechariah in the temple while he was praying and told him that his wife, Elizabeth, was going to bear a son and that that son was going to prepare the way for the Lord. He is going to be the one who comes in the spirit and power of Elijah to call people to repentance and to make the people ready for the coming of the Lord himself. And six months later, the same angel, Gabriel, comes to a woman named Mary. But her name is not the first thing we are told about her. In fact, we're told several things about her before we get to her name. First of all, we're told that she lived in a city, a town called Nazareth. Now, you might remember that uh, when Nathan, who became one of Jesus' disciples, heard that uh, somebody thought the Messiah had come and he was Jesus of Nazareth. Remember how Nathan responded to that. Are you kidding me? Nazareth? What he said was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Mary lived in a town that apparently people didn't think very much of. Didn't think very highly of. She also was a virgin who was betrothed. So she had not yet been married, but she was engaged, more or less, as we would call it. She was promised to be married to a man named Joseph. And Joseph was of the house of David. Now that's significant because as we heard in our scripture reading earlier, the house of David was promised a king who would come from David's line who would reign forever. As Isaiah prophesied that there would be a child born who would sit on David's throne and would reign with justice and righteousness and whose kingdom would have no end. This is who Mary is promised to be married to. And Mary is greeted by the angel with an unusual and I would say often misunderstood greeting. It says in verse 28 that the angel said to her, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, when we hear that, here's how I think most people hear that. Greetings, O favored one, they hear as, oh, Mary is special. Mary is different. Mary is better than other people. That's why God has singled her out. But that's not what it means for her to be favored. She is Special in the sense that God has set her apart and given her a special privilege. She is favored in that God has given something to her that she has not given to anybody else. But that word favor means grace. That's what the word favor means. So when he says, greetings, O favored one, we could say it this way. Greetings, O graced one. Now, we don't usually talk like that. That sounds kind of weird, so that's why it's not translated that way. But that's what it means. Greetings, O one who has received grace from God, received favor from God. In Ephesians chapter 1, the same word is used when Paul says, 
to the praise of the glory of His grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Blessed there is the same word. We could render that. To the praise of the glory of His grace with which He has graced us in the Beloved. In other words, what this means is not that Mary somehow has risen above all of her peers and has some incredible, you know, unsurpassed purity or something that gets God's attention that says, that's the best woman around. I'm going to choose her to give birth to the Messiah. That's not what's happening. Mary is a sinner, just like everybody else. Mary is in need of a Savior, just like everybody else. Mary is a lot like Noah. Remember we're told in Noah's day that the whole world was corrupt. There was violence on the earth. But Genesis 6, 8 says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Which again does not mean that Noah was the one person in the whole world who wasn't corrupt. It means God poured out His grace on Noah. Noah wasn't saved from the flood in the ark because Noah was a good man. He was saved in the ark from the flood because God is a gracious God. And God poured out His grace on Noah and now He's pouring out His grace on Mary. Likewise, The angel says to her in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. God has poured out His blessing. God has poured out His grace upon you. So you don't need to be afraid. Because she was understandably disturbed by this angel showing up and speaking to her and telling her that she was favored or graced and that the Lord was with her. Understanding what it means for Mary to be a favored one helps us understand Mary's place in the story. Because what people are prone to do is to give Mary either too high or too low a place in the story. It's easy to give Mary too high a place to think, well, if God chose her to bear the Messiah, she must have somehow been different than everybody else. And so you even have these theories and teachings about you know, maybe Mary herself was born sinless. It's just not taught anywhere in the Bible and is not true. Mary was a person, a human, who's born with a sin nature like all the rest of us. But it's also possible in reaction to those who put Mary too high to put Mary too low. To not recognize the significance of the position that God granted her. To fail to see that because of God's grace and because of what God does in and through Mary, she is worthy of special honor. She is, as Elizabeth will say uh, in the next passage, most blessed among women. Or perhaps it's Mary herself who says that. So we don't want to give her too high a place or too low a place. We want to understand the significance of her place because God calls upon her to do something that nobody else in history was ever or will ever be called upon to do. 
she does have a unique place. Not just in this story, but in the whole story of Scripture. The angel tells her in verse 31 that she is going to bear a son. She's going to have a child. And she's going to call his name Jesus. Which as the angel tells to Joseph in another story, when Joseph is told about the child Mary is carrying, he's told that you're going to call his name Jesus because... He will save his people from their sins. As Jesus' name means, the Lord saves. That's not only his name, but that's who he is. And why he has come. To bring salvation. So she's going to bear a son. And the angel says in verse 32, He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. I wonder what Mary thought about that title. What do you mean he's going to be son of the Most High? In what way is he going to be called the Son of God? Because when God spoke to David and told him about his son who would be seated on his throne and how God would establish his kingdom, God said to David, I'm going to be a father to your son and he's going to be a son to me. So, the language of a son of God could simply be applied to a king, like Solomon. But that's not the case with Jesus. There's definitely more to the title here, isn't there? He's not merely like a son to the Father. He is the eternal Son of God who is now going to take on flesh in the womb of Mary. That's why he will be called the Son of the Most High. And then he says, also in verse 32, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. All those promises and prophecies that we heard earlier in the the service from 2 Samuel 7, from Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, all those prophecies about A child from David's line who would be born to sit on David's throne and would reign forever. The angel is telling Mary, you are going to be the one to bring that child into the world. Your son, who you will carry, will sit on the throne of his father David. And, verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. God had said to David that the kingdom of his son would be established forever. How would that happen? Would that mean there would always be a new king from David's line? For centuries and centuries and centuries? No, that's not what God meant. He meant eventually there would be one king who would sit on David's throne and never leave it. Always reigning. Always living. Always exercising his authority as king. How would that happen? God himself would take on flesh. Would be born of David's line. Would die, yes, but would rise, never to die again. 
So that as David prophesied in Psalm 110, God would one day say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That was spoken about Jesus. That's who he is. That's where he is now, seated at God's right hand in the heavens, reigning forever as king. All this, the angel says to Mary. And we can only imagine how overwhelmed she must have been. Anytime an angel shows up to anybody in the Bible, they are afraid and often overwhelmed. No matter what the angel says. But this time, Mary is told that even though she's not married, she's going to have a child, and he is going to be the long-awaited Messiah to come from David's line and save his people and establish the kingdom of God permanently. I can only imagine how many questions came to Mary's mind. But here's the one we're told that she spoke in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How? How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, we noticed last time that Mary's question is different than Zechariah's question. Remember, because when the angel came to Zechariah and told him that his wife would bear a son, even though she was barren and they were both old, Zechariah's question was, how will I know this? In other words, I don't believe you yet. What else can you do? What can you show me to make me believe this? Because I'm not yet convinced. And so Gabriel said, well, I'm Gabriel. I came from the presence of God to give you this message. And since you don't believe it, you don't get to talk until it happens. Mary's question is different. She doesn't say, I don't believe you. How do I know you're telling me the truth? She says, how are you going to do that? How is this going to work? Not that I don't believe you're going to do it. I'm just trying to get my head around how, it, how it's even going to happen. So she doesn't get rebuked because her question does not come out of unbelief. Her question comes out of a genuine curiosity of how God is going to do what he said he's going to do. So I, I, I'm not married. How am I going to have a child? How is this going to happen? And so, Gabriel answers. Verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, that answer preserves the mystery of how this is going to take place. It doesn't answer all of our questions. It just gives us enough to know that what is going to take place is supernatural rather than natural. And it is beyond our understanding. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon Mary. God's power is going to overshadow her. And she is going to conceive this child without a human father. It is going to be a supernatural 
truly unique. When we use the word unique, we don't always actually mean what unique means. Truly unique. Never happened before. Never going to happen again. Only once. God is going to do this. And you're not going to understand how it all took place. But God is going to bring it about. And it shouldn't be too hard for us to believe that God can do something like this. Because where did all of this come from? The Bible says that God spoke and brought the universe into existence. It's not hard for him to raise the dead. It's not hard for him to cause a barren woman to conceive as he did with Elizabeth, as he did with Sarah, as he did with Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah. This is just the most dramatic, most unique as he causes the virgin to conceive. There's no reason why God can't do that. So this child is going to be not only truly human, born of a woman, born of Mary, born from David's line, he is also going to be truly divine. So the angel says, therefore, because of how he will be conceived, therefore the child to be born will be called holy, set apart, unlike any other child, the Son of God. God himself will cause him to be conceived. This is the Son of God himself taking on humanity, taking on human flesh and blood and being born as one of us while remaining fully and truly God. It is a profound mystery that God pronounces to Mary through the angel. Now Mary needs a little help probably getting her mind around this and even probably a little help believing this. And perhaps that's why the angel says next in verse 36, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So Mary, if you're having trouble understanding this, I can't point to you to any other example exactly like yours because yours is utterly unique. But I can show you that even now, God is doing something in the life of someone you know that nobody thought would ever take place that also has to have a supernatural explanation. Your relative Elizabeth. You all know that she's barren. You all know that she's advanced in years, as the Bible says. And yet, you will find That she's six months pregnant. God has also given her a son. And this is why, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. There's nothing he can't do. That echoes the words that God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 18. Abraham and Sarah have been waiting for years, in fact, decades. For God to give them even one son after he had promised that they would have numerous offspring. And God came and told them that it was finally time that Sarah was going to bear a son about a year from this time. And he said to Abraham this, is anything too hard for the Lord? Yes, I know your wife is barren. Yes, I know you're both old. Do you think that can stop me? 
Do you think that makes it impossible for me? Do you think that makes it too hard for me? There's nothing too hard for the Lord. I will do what I promised. I will give to you a son. The angel is echoing those words to Mary to say, God is doing the same thing again. You know this story, Mary. But now this same kind of story is happening again in your lifetime. And it's happening to you. You are going to bear that promised son. You are going to be the one through whom the Son of God comes into the world. Mary is an almost unbelievably wonderful model of the posture we should have toward the Lord. I don't even know if we can adequately put ourselves in Mary's shoes in our own minds. You think about what it is going to cost her to do what God says she's about to do. Joseph at first is not going to believe her when he hears that she's pregnant and the child is from the Lord. He's going to start making plans to divorce her before an angel comes and tells him what's really going on and that he needs to marry her. Joseph undoubtedly was not the only one in Mary's lifetime who would have questions about where this child came from, who would have suspicions, who would look upon her with less than a favorable eye. And not only that, eventually, as Simeon will tell Mary later in chapter 2 of Luke, he says, a sword is going to pierce your own soul, Mary. She's going to have to watch her son be publicly mocked, crucified, scorned, and killed. And there were probably a thousand other hardships, heartaches, and pains that Mary experienced because the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. When God pours out his grace on someone's life, not just Mary's, good things come, of course. Mary gets to be the mother of the Messiah. But hardship and pain comes too. Jesus never hid that from his disciples. You want to follow me? You got to take up your cross. The world hated me. It's going to hate you too. In this world, you have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Even in this announcement to Mary, in other words, we get the gospel, we get the good news. God is giving, God is sending his son into the world for our salvation, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have life, so that we could be reconciled to God. Our posture toward that good news ought to be like that of Mary. 
who says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I believe what you said. Let it be done for me as you say. Not only save me, cleanse me, forgive me, make me new. But if you say it's going to be hard, and you say it's going to be painful, and you say there's going to be a cost, but that you are going to be with me, I'm okay with that too. I'm your servant. You call the shots. I'll do what you say. I want to have a heart like Mary. I'm sure that you do too. But even Mary fell short. You can remember at least one on one occasion when Jesus' family thought he was out of his mind. Mary came uh, knocking on the door, as it were, where Jesus was. Uh, she didn't always understand what he was doing or what her role was. But that's why we needed him to come. That's why we needed Jesus in the first place. Mary and us too. We need a Savior. We need a King. We need a Deliverer. We need a Messiah. We have one. His name is Jesus, and we want to welcome him into our lives, just as Mary welcomed him into hers. Let's pray.